Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Bacon Wire Podcast. On today's episode, we talked about MSU's loss to Purdue on Friday and their upcoming matchup against Iowa this Thursday. Then, Lucas and I sat down with Uncle Chaps of Zero Vlog 3 to talk about his career and just shoot the shit with them. And then Brett joins us along with Dave Burkett to talk about the Lions head coaching search and GM search. After, we talk a little NFL playoff recap, so stay tuned for that. Here's Spartan Dog 97. Thanks, Spartan Dog 97. When I'm not an Antifa sleeper agent storming the Capitol, I'm Spartan Dog 97. Uh, here with the boys, Lucas and Brett. Fellas, what's going on? Not much. Another day in paradise. Excited to be here. Yeah, enjoying my uh, my playoff victory over the weekend. Uh, yeah, Red Lucas, uh, congratulations to your Los Angeles Rams, who now have the who now have the privilege of going to uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, in mid January. I'm feeling good. I'm actually feeling good about that. I think you should. All right, we'll uh, we'll talk about that later. But yeah. um, right now, um, you know, I I. I made reference to it in my intro, but I just I wanted to say a few quick things about about the Capitol. Um, I I've kind of oscillated my feelings about what happened um, ever since ever since like I first heard about what was going on 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 Wednesday was it? Um, and something that a couple things really flipped my perspective. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with my mom the next morning and she asked how I felt, how, like what my reaction was. And like the only word that came to my head was like funny. And like, I couldn't really um, put into words why I thought it was funny. Uh, And then I was listening to um, Chapo Trap House on their uh, Patreon episode. They had on Will Summer. He's a friend of their podcast. He's a journalist. He, He lives in DC. And he was at the he was at the Stop the Steal rally, and he was talking to someone who was who had cancer, and he couldn't afford treatment because he didn't have health insurance. And instead of being mad, and instead of like going, "This is incredibly fucked up. We're one of the most advanced nations on earth, and I'm in a." a disease that we have all kinds of remedies for that are not permanent, but they extend life are inaccessible to me because I don't have the income necessary to pay for it. Stated that uh, the cure for cancer is out there. Democrats are hiding it. And once Trump gets rightfully elected, that he'll release the cure for cancer. And it was a really, like, centering moment for me. Like, I couldn't, like, I, I really, I really was, like, all over the place with my feelings, right? Like, like if you go back on my timeline, like, I retweeted a few jokes about um, Ashley Babbitt, the, the woman who died in the building. She was shot by a Capitol Police officer. And, like, I kind of settled on... I've kind of settled in a place of it, you know, a lot of these people are like 
40% right. And I think that's why Trump was so popular in the first place was like, he was like 30 to 40% correct that the United States government doesn't give a shit about you. They don't. And, and the politicians who are in power now only exist to collect paychecks and speaking fees and to stall progressive legislation because of some bullshit optics about people, quote unquote, not deserving it. And instead of, and instead of placing their anger at the feet of these, of these assholes who just continue to get wealthier and wealthier doing nothing and letting people die and and letting America rot from the inside out. They're placing their anger at a at a trumped up, no pun intended, <laughs> um, a bullshit conspiracy theory that uh, half of the people who represent um, half of the people who represent America are blood sucking child pedophiles, and it's just. It's hard to have sympathy for these people, right? It, it's hard. I know. It's fucking, it's f- so fucking difficult to have sympathy for people who, who, see, who see the world in such a radically different way than you do. I get it. But, you know, the, for, the va- for the vast, vast majority of people, they have the same struggles you do. And a lot of them... You know, a lot of them weren't struggling because they were able to fly to Washington, D.C. in the middle of the week, right? That's not a cheap, that's not like a cheap endeavor. So, it, they're not, um, they're not like, they're not like destitute, right? But they have, they have, they have mental health struggles. They have, they have problems, right? Maybe they have a family member who died because they couldn't afford insulin and died. So I just think like everyone needs to step back and have a little, just have a little like, I don't know, have a little perspective, I guess. Um, Because like, I know my politics aren't particularly popular. And if you follow me, or you know know who I am in real life. I re- you know what my politics are. I make no bones about about what about what about the things I believe in and the things I think the government shouldn't shouldn't do. But it's it's just the more we the more we like talk about these people like they're irredeemable hell spawns the the less the less incentive they have to hear us out so i i would just like listeners of this podcast to keep that in mind you know uh we all have a crazy veteran uncle who thinks that nancy pelosi is like is sucking adrenochrome from from children right but like 
your uncle is probably that way because he was a veteran in a superfluous conflict caused by the American government. So, you know, he didn't get that way. He wasn't born that way. He doesn't believe that on his, you know, on his own volition. He saw some fucked up shit and doesn't know how to process it. And the, and the resources to the resources to probably help him process it are inaccessible. And when you're, and when you surrender so much of your personal identity to this national patriotic, like fervor that the armed forces and just America as a whole, honestly, presents itself as it's hard to it's hard to go oh america's fucked up and things need to be changed you know you need to have an enemy and that's what constant conflict does to does to people you need to make enemies so if it's not if it's not al-qaeda if it's not osama bin laden then it's democrats so i just you know, that's all I wanted to say. Just have a little perspective. Um, anyone getting killed by, by, the, by police violence is, is bullshit and wrong and shouldn't happen. And just, just have a little perspective. That's all I wanted to say. So uh, let's, let's move on to MSU basketball, something equally as fun. <laughs> Can we go back to the Capitol? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd rather talk about that. That was that was uh, easier on the eyes than what we saw on Friday evening. So let so um, you know I talked a lot in the beginning of this pod. I normally talk a lot. That's why I have a podcast. Uh, but there were the refs on Thursday terrible. Yes, yes they were. Um. You know, that Bo Bororski is one of the worst officials in college basketball. We all knew that going in. Sucks ass. But that loss is squarely at the feet of Tom Izzo. That, you know, the rest were terrible. The, the officiating crew was awful. I'm not, you know, whatever. But every time, every time MSU loses – and the rest performed poorly. I think some of the blame, I think a lot of the blame that should be placed at the feet of, of the coaching staff and at some of the players get misdirected at the, at the officiating. And, you know, every time me or my siblings would step off of a sports field after a loss and blame the referees, my parents would go, if you have to, if you, if you have to blame the refs, then you didn't play your game. And straight up, in the first half, MSU played their game. Second half, they didn't. Um, you know, we can get more in depth, but I just wanted to – I want to get your guys' initial reaction first because I need some water. I've been talking a long time. So, someone right, else talk, please. Yeah, no, I think I think you nailed it. Kind of looking at the game, I mean, yes, the officiating was horrible, uh, but the official – I mean, it wasn't good for either team. Uh, I think it's kind of a, a cop-out to blame them when our team had I, – I don't know how many chances to just close out this game. Uh, even looking back to the final minute, you're up, you're up four points. You're inbounding the ball. Uh, you turn it over. Rocket tries to uh, – he flopped instead of trying to just get the ball and uh, take the foul to head to the free throw line. 
Um, that turns the ball over. Next thing you know, it's a well, it was a two two point game at that time. Um, and then you look at the coaching. I think this is Tom Izzo's worst coaching job since the Syracuse game. I mean, having Joey Hauser on Trevion Williams nonstop and like heading down the stretch is just inexcusable by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, this he he could get whatever he wanted. And I mean, I, I'm a big Joey Hauser supporter. I, I love. Uh, his offensive game, but he's become more of a defensive liability than Foster Lawyer. And I think that's just the, the harsh reality at this point. Um, if you're just going to get bodied down low, you, you can't, you, you can't be starting for the Michigan state Spartans. So I really think that this team needs to look itself in the mirror, especially the coaching staff and kind of realize that uh, the hopes of this team are going to rest on Aaron Henry uh, you need to get Rocket Watts. You need to give him a longer leash. I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, I think that's it, it, it's embarrassing at this point that the guy makes one wrong pass or he takes one shot that Tom Izzo doesn't like and he yanks him. He has the shortest shortest leash I've ever seen from a, a star Michigan State player. Um, and I mean, you look at AJ Hogard. He's been nothing short of remarkable for this team. Um, without him, they would have zero hope. And then. I, you got to start playing Mati Sissoko more. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he, each game he gets a, a little bit better. Um, I mean, it, it's it's going to be rough this year just based on he hasn't played that much basketball, but he needs to get more play. And then even Marcus Bingham, he, he's been he's been bad this year, but he was really, really good against Purdue in the first half. And in the second half, he just doesn't get any run. Um, I don't know what's going on with these rotations, this 12-man, 13-man rotation stuff. It, it's bullshit. Uh I feel comfortable saying that at this point, there's right. guys on the team that can't play. There's guys on this team that don't belong on a Michigan state roster. Um, I, I'm sure everybody knows who we're referring to. I don't really want to call anybody out, but um, it just, not yet. not yet, but I mean, this coaching staff, they just, they got to see it. It, 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 I mean, I'm not going to doubt Tom Izzo, but at the same time as a alum of the university, I'm allowed to question uh, decisions that the president makes, that the coaching staff makes, um, even every fan is allowed that right. So um, there's just a lot that needs to be corrected. There's not a lot of time to get it turned around. There's 14 games left in the Big Ten slate, and your next test is Iowa tomorrow night. So um, they, they got to figure they got to figure it out quick. Um, hey, I, I, sorry, Lucas, go ahead. Um, you know, it was just an amazing 72-hour change. Like, we were riding the high from beating the shit out of Rutgers. You know, the team had some rough spots, but we were we were feeling good going in this game. And, I mean, it's a game we should have won. Like, yeah, like you guys said, we can be mad at the refs, but I don't blame them. I blame them for choking. Like, that was – that's just plain and simple. Like, if I told you, okay, Purdue is coming into town – or Purdue, Purdue played this game. Um, only one person scored in double figures. They had about, let's see, a 5.1% uh, less field goal percentage. They shot almost half or 50% worse from the three, three of 24 from three. And they shot a little less, a little less percentage wise from the free throw line. You would probably say, Oh, MSU dog walk them. Like it's, it's an easy win. Um, I mean, I was blown away by, by what happened. Like, I I just had this weird feeling when they were up at half. Like, man, I think this is going to be a lot closer. I don't see a 30-point win. And then when I just ch- saw the final score, I, I was 
with the way this season has gone since Big Ten play started, I wasn't surprised, but I was just like, man, you had the momentum right there, beating Rutgers. You had a shot to get to 3-3 three and three before the schedule got really fucking hard, and you would have confidence, but Luke Gar- Luca Garza is going to bend – going to bend this team over a barrel and show them the 50 states it's it's going to be i don't want to watch i really don't and i'm not i'm not trying to give up on the team i just don't want to watch that game <laughs> it, it it i mean it's going to be a game where we're writing it off now but watch them watch them go out and win that game and yeah, get our hopes gonna back. Gonna it, it's going to be one of those games yeah but i no, think I mean, sorry ahead. sorry brett i think the i think the thing that's that was. I want to talk about um, the the late game decision to put uh, to put Hauser on Travion Williams. I, you know, we knew going into the season that five was a weak spot, right? We that's something that was a major cause of concern. Um, there were there were excellent players in the portal. Izzo could have picked up. He didn't. So obviously, he felt comfortable with the centers he had, and. Look, the Marcus Bingham experiment, it, you know, it, there's been a little bit more bad than good. But he was fantastic on Thursday against both Travion Williams and Zach Eady. Um, Madi Sissoko seems to, get, seems to get better and faster and stronger and smarter every single time he steps on the floor in, in game time. Um, Julius Marble has had flashes of brilliance. You know, whether or not he whether or not he's gonna do that consistently still kind of remains to be seen. But so you had options, right? You had you had big men who were playing well, and your decision to put Travion Williams, to put Joey Hauser on Travion Williams, to just let them score two. This is the thing that this is the thing that drove me up the wall because like when coaches say shit like this, I have to assume it's bullshit. Like I just can't I can't like I can't take it at face value because it's so fucking insane that I can't like I can't comprehend it. So uh Izzo was asked in the post game in the post game press conference, right? Uh, why, why he, why he put, why he put Hauser on Travion Williams. And he basically said, I wanted to make them beat us with the two and not with the three. Purdue was shooting 12% from three that game. 12%. Travion Williams was getting anything and everything he wanted down low. You were beat. To say that you wanted to be that you, that you wanted to that you wanted Purdue to beat us with the two, and not the three. Fifteen minutes after you got beaten with the two, is is unbelievable. And Brett, you you brought something up uh, about this being his worst coaching job since since Syracuse, and like I think that's. That's true. That's obviously true, but at least the Ben Carter decision had some sort of ju- had some sort of like actual justification, right? Jaron Jackson Jr. was in foul trouble. Ben Carter was kind of a zone breaker. He was. He Ben Carter in that game played well. 
That's not up for debate. He played well. So at least there was some, there were like, there was a point from A to B to C to take you through that decision. Going back to the 12-man rotation, and after you've locked it down, you've had a, you had a solid nine-man rotation the past two games, and you won, and won handedly in both those contests. To go back to the 12-man rotation is inexcusable. There's too much out of whack chemistry. Nobody knows what to do off ball. And people are just so afraid of fucking up. Because if they fuck up, you're going to pull them because you have eight other guys ready to go into the game. And I want to get to Rocket right now. If, if Tom Izzo keeps treating Rocket like this, Rocket will be the first case that Michigan fans legitimately have of Tom Izzo ruining a player. This, it's, it's beyond bullshit at this point. I can't put into words how, how dumbfounded I am at how short Rocket's leash is. Yeah. Even after you moved him back to the two guard. You took away point guard duties from him, which hindsight with how well Hogard is playing was probably the right move. You probably should have never moved him to point in the first place. But you have him at two guard now, and you said in your midweek press conference, Rocket's not a guard, he's not a forward, he's a basketball player. How the fuck are you going to have a basketball player and not let him play basketball? Yeah, there are you are playing a little bit. There are people on the floor for Michigan State right now who shouldn't be, who even shouldn't be on the roster, even in a walk-on capacity. And this is on a roster with Tom Izzo's five-foot-three son. It is, it is ridiculous that the only logical explanation I can come up with to make it make sense is like rocket shit on Izzo's desk one day. That's the only thing that makes sense to me is like, it was like a personal, it's like a personal vendetta because it's not making rocket a better player. His confidence is broken. You can see it. He's not taking shots. He had a corner three wide open and he, and he started to penetrate. Last season, that would have he would have he would have put it up. I just don't fucking get it. I don't fucking get it. When you let Rocket cook, he is one of the most fun basketball players Michigan State has had in a long, long time. I. It's like when that corporate it's like when that corporate restaurant bought out the crusty crab and they made crabby patties out of gray sludge. I just don't fucking get it. No, then you then you let uh, a certain recruit from Clarkson Foster okay, I'm just gonna say Foster Lawyer gets to run around there and do whatever he wants for seven, eight minutes a game. He gets to come in, free reign. He doesn't he, the only reason he's on the roster because he shoots. 
and guess what he doesn't do anymore? He doesn't shoot the ball, so he's useless. He comes in the game, it's automatically four on five. And that's when the other team, they make their run. Foster will make a couple stupid turnovers, and they'll, they'll bring in whoever else. It just – it's maddening. Like, it, 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 I'm, I'm trying to phrase myself carefully here, but, um, yeah, it just – it's very, very upsetting that they have so much talent on this team, but Tom Izzo is just sabotaging this roster for whatever purpose. Uh, it just – it doesn't make any. I mean, this team should have three more wins on their on their schedule right now. I mean, they should have beaten Purdue. They should have never choked to Wisconsin, and then losing to Northwestern under any circumstance is unacceptable. So, those are my thoughts. We'll see what happens the rest of the year, but this twelve man rotation has got to stop. And then, okay, after the Rutgers game, uh, Tom Izzo's like, "Yeah, my, uh, Julius Marble, he's not he's not in the current uh, game plan." Then he comes in, he plays like. Four minutes against Purdue, he looks amazing again. Looks like he did against Duke, and he doesn't see the floor in the second half. It, I just—he's got to make a decision and just run with it. Yeah, you echo. It's just like stupid. The, there's just the box score is too fat. You need to line <laughs> it. You need to thin it down. Um, get them minutes in garbage time, but you, you got to let Rocket ball out because when he balls out, he's he's won games. Like he won the Duke game by doing that. Um, there's still, I still have hope for this team, but yeah, this this seems like one of those fat and sassy Izzo years, like 2018 was, and it's it's making me nervous, you know. And I mean, I'm I'm really relying on Amani coming, but you know, maybe maybe it's just kind of one of those years where it doesn't really click, and then we move on to the next year and things start to get better, like 2018-19. Yeah, or this could end up being like a 2015 year. Yeah, where they they just look like a complete mess, and they get in the tournament and they make a little run, but yeah. they, they have the talent. That's the thing. They they have as much talent as any of the teams ranked five through ten. Absolutely, I, I really do. I really do believe that, just based off of what we've seen from. I mean, Aaron Henry. You, I, I absolutely love Aaron Henry. This guy's given everything he he, he has to this team he's, this year. He's played incredible this year for the most part. I've been really, I've been really happy with with him this year, and. He plays like a guy who wants to be drafted, and mm-hmm. he's doing everything he can to show it and to win for this team. And that's all you can ask for a dude who's basically said, "I'm done," but he's still giving it his all. And that's what you—you you can't fake passion like that. <laughs> it, I gotta laugh a little bit. It, it not only. This is this is like this is the most I've ever questioned a Tom Izzo team, like uh, more than the 2018 team, more than the 2011 team, more than more than any more than any roster because like the other like the 2018 roster was was more talented but it also had bigger egos, so like you could sense the volatility there, right? The 2011 roster w- was barren. You know, it it was like this year's football roster. Um, it was obviously a talent. This year, this this time, it's there's talent, and there's a lot of guys who have been there a while, who know what the deal is and know how to fit in with each other. And it's just so like it it's so goddamn frustrating to see 
to see like 13 guys touch the floor for Michigan State. And it's like, if you have too many, you know, if you're worried about one of these guys transferring out, giving them three minutes isn't going to change their decision. Especially when you have a, especially when you have more bigs coming in. I just don't fucking get it. I don't get what the play, what the long-term play is here. Uh, I mean, Thursday, the name of the game is like, it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be let them beat us with the two because there's, there is no one on this roster who can stop Luka Garza. Absolutely nobody. (laughs) No, he's the the only guy who can stop him currently in Memphis. So. Yeah, if the, if if Mati Sissoko and Xavier Tillman do like a Freaky Friday body swap, then well, then maybe. But honestly, like that's that's when you're better off just having Hauser on Garza and having everybody else guard guard on the wings because it's just three is two is less than three. So if you hold if you hold Iowa to a to a you know to under 40% from three and Luca, you know, maybe Luca gets in some foul trouble. Maybe, maybe it kind of, maybe kind of do hack a Garza. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it, I, there is a sinking feeling in my gut that Thursday is going to be ugly. It very well could be. Yep. <laughs> it, 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 it's really tough to just kind of go more in depth. Just because, I, I mean, until we see the team play again, uh, it could go one of two ways, and we'll see. That's, That's the thing. All. This team this team is so – it's not quite Jekyll and Hyde because when the team is playing well, the problems that are there in the bad times are still there. They're just less apparent. Yeah. Right? Like, this is probably one of the worst offensive teams Tom Izzo's ever I mean, their 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 shooting percentage is awful. Uh, they're super hot. They're super inconsistent shooting. Um, they're either hot and cold. Everyone on the roster. Uh, I think the assist rate is down too. I believe. So that you know, that's that's like atypical of a normal Spartans team. But without a true center, they're a lead on defense. They're like a top – they're a top 10 defense. Yeah, it's bizarre. So, you know, it – I guess it just depends who should – I get it, – it honestly comes down to – it honestly comes down to what the rotation is. If you're going to have a clamp down nine-man rotation, it, it'll be a ball game. But if you're gonna play, if you're gonna play thirteen guys and sub people out constantly every two minutes because they committed a stupid foul or turned the ball over, then pack a lunch because it's gonna be a long night. So that that's all, Lucas. If you have any final thoughts on MSU basketball, you're you're more than welcome to share them here. But that that's kind of all we that's no, that's I all just, I, I have for Thursday. I want the rotation shortened. Um, I still think they can figure it out. I still think I agree with Brett. They can go on a 2015 type of run. Let Rocket, uh, let him cook. Let him shoot. Let him ball out. Let him and Henry take over the games and let Hauser play lockdown defense. And, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on 
on Garza. Just let Hauser play him and just hope and pray. Hope for the best and hope Hauser doesn't get hurt. And just come out of there. Don't get the doors blown off you. Come out, lose by like 10, 12 points. I'd feel okay with that. Um, Final yeah. thoughts. You know, above all, I just want our friend Lucy to be happy. So, you know. Not on Thursday. No, yeah, not no, on Thursday. No. I want the trail of tears. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, let's get to our interviews. Uh, first up, uh, Lucas and I got to talk to Uncle Chaps, host of Zero Bluff 30 on Barstool. Lucas and I are big fans of him, big fans of what he does. That was an awesome interview. There was like the, honestly, like that was the interview I, I was most nervous for. Yeah, me too. I wasn't that nervous for Coach Fife. I wasn't that nervous for Lewerke. That was like the interview I was, I was, I was and, most nervous and, for. And what's funny is we talked to him, you know, he's a, for those who don't know Uncle Chaps, you know, Zero Block 30, it's, it's a military based uh, podcast, but they talk about a lot of shit on there too. And, um, What's really funny is we talked to him the night before everything went down the Capitol. And if I'm not asking you to listen to his podcast. If you do, that's awesome. But it, if you would, if you do want someone's thoughts on it, who's given his time and service and body, you know, to, to our military in the Marine Corps, if you want his thoughts on it, you know, listen to the first 15 minutes of, I think it's episode 328 from last Thursday or Friday. Um, he just nails it. Like it's, it's not long, but he, he kind of echoes my sentiments and um, it was just really cool to talk to a guy that I honestly just shot my shot with and he said he'd come on and talk to us. So it was pretty neat to get a guy like that. Yeah. And you know, maybe if you got a few spare bucks, donate to the Barstool fund. Um, yeah. I know, I know Barstool isn't exactly everyone's cup of tea, right? but you know what, what they're doing to help small businesses survive, survive COVID is, it's, it's nothing short of incredible. It's amazing. And, and yeah, Aaron Rodgers just donated a million dollars too. Yeah. Um, Coors Light is going to donate a hundred grand. So it's, it's, you know, go, go help save small businesses all around the country because yep. got, Lord knows they need it. Yep. And then uh, the three of us sat down with Dave Burkett uh, to talk about the GM and head coaching search, um, what the plans are in the future for the Detroit Lions and all that good stuff. So um, here is Lucas and I with Uncle Chaps. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. Uh, he is the host of Zero Blog 30 and the Chaps and Kate Show on Sirius XM Channel 85. Uh, Uncle Chaps, Chaps, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, man, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, yeah. No problem. So I have, I have a question for you. Uh, you're kind of the innovator of the working remotely lifestyle, do you feel that everyone's kind of been jacking your style in like the past 11 months? Uh, yeah, man. Like I think one of the things that's been surprising to me is that my wife actually works from home too. How many friends that we've had that have gotten like divorced and shit? Like that just, just seems awful. Um, so I'm pretty fortunate that for a year before that, we got our sea legs where we could still go out and be places but yeah, man, learning to work from home is an adjustment. And I'm glad that I did it way before the uh, quarantine started. I, the first like week and a half when nobody knew like how long this was going to last or what was going on. I like I, my dad and I had an unspoken agreement that we were just going to go on a bender mm -hmm. <laughs> and 
And then once we realized it was going to last a lot longer, we're like, all right, we're going to have to set some, uh, we're going to have to set some windows of productivity. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. I mean, who would have thought in March, whenever this started, that we'd sit, be sitting here in January still doing like essentially the same shit. Yeah. I remember thinking in October, like thinking in April, like, uh, you know, maybe by October, I think we're going to be back to normal. And then October hit, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I don't gamble. That was a big fucking mistake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I want chaps. I really appreciate you coming on. Like I really do. Like it's, I love listening to zero block 30 and like, I make sure to listen to chaps and Kate whenever I can, like if I'm not working and, and I listen to old episodes. Um, I just need to ask how the hell do you and Kate get your weird, and goofy stories for the for the chaps and kate show and some of them on zero block they're like how the hell does she or you guys find those they just they're they they're jaw dropping yeah i mean we find them from all over the place one good thing about barstool and like the stoolies is that once they kind of know your personality if you live in idaho and you see a story in your local news that is kind of surprising, but it's in Idaho. Nobody's going to fucking see it. It's in Idaho. Who reads Idaho's news? <laughs> a stoolie does, and they'll hop into my DMs and send it to me, or they'll send it to Kate, and then we have it. So it, it is a lot of crowdsourcing. Like back in the day, Dave talks about it all the time, how Dave and Kevin and uh, K. Marco and them, they do 10, 15 blogs a day. Well, sure. Whenever you're the only three doing it, you can go to the internet and see like <laughs> anything. Like if I wait till 10 o'clock, most of the stories that are good and funny for the day have already been scooped up. And I see them like in the, in the pending blogs that go out. So it's tough, man. We fight like tooth and nail. So I don't do sports. I just find the weirdest shit I can and try to put my own spin on it. Wow. I like that. I kind mm -hmm. of feel that way too. Cause like I, you know, this is kind of, I want this to become a full-time thing. It's a side hustle right now. But like, but when I like get, when I get ready to write something, everything's already talked about. So mm -hmm. like, what am I going to do? Be the two millionth blog to talk about fucking bean dad. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yep. I just kind of write about personal shit. So I just like, you know, that I, I completely get that, you know, the, that's so, you know, I think the community around Barstool is like one of the best things to come out of the brand. You know, we see it now with the Barstool Fund. Like mm -hmm. there have been a couple of restaurants around where I live that have been helped. And it's, and it's like really inspiring to see. Yeah, it's insane to think $18 million. And in a company that's worth a lot and from somebody like Dave, who's worth a lot to put, I mean, really dave could not have done that like and nobody would ever said shit about it like he's not responsible to do that we have really at barstool we have two weeks off a year essentially where the bloggers the the content people aren't really required to do a whole lot like you do your podcast if you want to and you do a couple social things but you don't have to do anything dave liz and a bunch of the other folks that were going through the emails legitimately did it all day long every single day over their only two weeks off. And I, I think it's remarkable what they did. Yeah, it, it is awesome. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really cool yeah. to be a part of it too. Yeah. Like speaking of Dave, like how, like, you know, I'm not that far into barstool lore, you know, back where it was just the three of those guys blogging, like what motivated you to go, to go there, like to be a part of this, this, huge phenomenon that it is now like i remember barstool back when it first started just kind of going oh okay 
and then like it just blew up in a couple of years, especially after, you know, part of my take took off. And then I saw you guys. And then I saw a couple other pods that I liked. like, what, what was the biggest thing to make you go work for Dave? I mean, it was a no brainer for me. I'm actually employee number 21. So like in a company that has a shit ton of people now being there essentially from the New York move, I think I was the very first hire from whenever it was Erica. And then I was hired like two days after Erica. And I got a text message from Big Cat that Dave was trying to get a hold of me because he, somebody had tagged him right after PFT got hired. And I went out to dinner with PFT here in uh, Texas. And he lived in Austin at the time. And I went up there and had dinner with him. A couple of days later, Dave, Big Cat reached out to me. He was like, Dave's trying to get up with you, dude. Um, if you're interested, hit him back. And I, of course I was interested. Somebody that's like an egg avatar on Twitter said, you knocked the PFT commenter higher out of the park. Check out this dude chaps. I've been doing a podcast in my closet talking into a shoebox with like the egg carton uh, mattress foam inside of it. So it would sound better. <laughs> and somehow I got Ian Rappaport to come on. And then I told a story about how I went to Florida and drove with my family and I had to hold my kid above a toilet while they took a shit <laughs> and like this nasty ass <laughs> bathroom. And Dave said that he was laughing hysterically at the airport, just had some time and like went through it. And he said that he thought I would be a good fit. He asked me if I had ever blogged and I had written a couple of things about the Jags, but nothing barstooly. Like it was legitimate, like breaking down film and stuff like that stuff that I never do now. And so he sent me like three different topics and I didn't put it in a WordPress or anything. I just wrote it out in an email of what I would say in a blog. And he, I thought they were going to offer me like uh, 500 bucks. You can do be like a contributor and do it. He offered me a full-time job at a salary that was higher than what I had made in the Marine Corps before I retired. I was legitimately blown away. And I called my wife legit. Like I called my wife. I was so happy because I was just going to be a stay at home dad. I was retired. I have VA benefits and things like that. I was just going to be a stay at home dad and try maybe to do a podcast that brings in a little bit of money. But I called my wife like, legit weeping like at so excited for the opportunity because i knew what barstool could do i knew how much it was growing and i just i was so thrilled to be a part of it now i look at it from the difference from when i first showed up to where it is now and not like i have a whole lot to do with that but where it is now it's it's unbelievable it's really unbelievable how much this company has grown in the last five years yeah like what and what's funny is uh Spartan Dog and I sat on my coast and I, and we, we met, like we were both, we're both big fans of lights, camera, barstool. Mm-hmm. And we met like kind of e-met, you know, it sounds really, there's no great way to put it, but we met on the, the subreddit for, for that one, like their message board. And so there was just a little community of us. And then we just kind of organically formed this and decided to start a podcast. And it's just, you know, gotten a little bigger than I thought you know, I never thought I'd be here sitting to talking to someone like you. And, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a kiss ass, but I'm just being honest about it. Like we started this, what, 10 months ago and we never thought we'd be doing like this. Mm -hmm. I I think that's the way it goes. If you'd have told me when I was in that on my podcast in the first year, I would have guys like Kyle Carpenter who jumped on top of a grenade and was given, uh, received the medal of honor for his bravery that I would have talked 
several times to the dude who shot Osama bin Laden three times in the face. Dakota Meyer, Woody Williams, the last living Medal of Honor recipient from World War II that's a Marine. Uh, he operated a flamethrower on Iwo Jima. Like if, I, if you'd have told me that I'd be sitting in Congress talking to multiple people about what veterans need and how to improve the quality of life for veterans, I'd have told you you're fucking crazy. And not just me, but anybody who knew me would have told you that you were fucking crazy. Uh, one of my best, my favorite things about the podcast is some of my old Marines will listen to ZBT and they'll reach out to me. One of them did. He was uh, John Paxson's son, Ryan Paxson is his name. I, I believe he's out now. And he was a drill instructor and he contacted me. He was like, dude, I had no idea you were even funny. I just thought you were a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I had a question. Um, this, this question kind of um, is more like uh, advice. Um, how did, when you were switching over to, you know, when you, when you got to Barstool, like, how did you, how did you craft your voice and your personality when you were like your on air, your blog, your kind of your personality at Barstool and how do you keep it separate from like, from like you, from like you as a father and as like just a person in the world, like are the two just the same now? It's really not a whole lot different. I mean, I am like, I'm obviously whenever you're in front of a microphone or you're writing, you can't be an introvert, but at home, I'm a little more quiet. Um, I would say, but my personality has been the same for a while. So it wasn't really a, an adjustment. The thing that was hard is that I got like any type of notoriety where I would get hired at Barstool because of like my sports satire. And when I got hired, Big Cat and PFT had just announced that they were going to do part of my take. And really hard to come into a company like Barstool and be like, you know what? I'm also going to do that. So I had to figure out something completely different. Cause I didn't I really, honestly, I didn't want to do military stuff. Um, but there are so many people who were interested in my story and interested on my take and we just kind of developed it. And now it is what it is. And I, I love ZBT. It's like my little baby. That's cool. Uh, we have a Jags related question. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm a Lions fan. So one, I feel your pain, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, how does it, how does it feel to have an organization that is so committed to rebuilding the correct way? You know, I don't know if it's the correct way. <laughs> I, I, they've done it the correct way, like three times in the last 10 years. And what I would look at the correct way, you bring in a young GM, you bring in a young fiery coach, like, uh, Gus Bradley, you know, you're going to have this roster that's going to be filled with not just first and second rounders, but you're going to be starting on day one where you're a coach and a GM, you're going to be starting guys that were undrafted free agents. And you're not going to just be starting one or two where it's a freak like James Robinson, who was fourth in the league in rushing. You're not doing that. You're going to, with guys who you're really picking up off the, of the scrap heap. And then you have your draft picks and your free agents and you are getting more and more free agents. And you think, wow, it's built 2016 rolls around 2017 rolls around. And then you have, Jalen Ramsey, you have Yannick Ngakwe, you have Miles Jack, you have Calais Campbell, and the defense is, you have Malik Jackson, and on and on and on, and the defense is legitimately stacked, and you look at, these guys are young, A.J. Boye and Jalen Ramsey on the corners, that's locked down on both sides, next thing you know, you're fucking one in 15, two years later, like, there is no such thing as rebuilding the right way if you don't have the quarterback, like, if Blake was the guy, 
I think the I think they continue to roll on. You miss on a quarterback, you're done. Like that's it. Like, hmm. Your your franchise is fucked for five years after. Well, the Lions, I I would say the Lions hit on a quarterback and they're still fucked. So I, it's that it's one's kinda... tough. That I think that's harder. Like the fact that Matthew Stafford has never won a playoff game is ins- that's insane. Like he yeah. is a he. People were making the argument this weekend on Twitter that he's a Hall of Famer. There is no shot a guy who spends 10, 15 years in the NFL, doesn't want a playoff game, is a Hall of Famer. None. Yeah, I, not first ballot, but maybe like towards his expiring. Yeah. Like, I don't I, know, man. Like, look at, the, look at the quarterbacks that he's going to go against, like uh, as far as getting in. Unless you're just going to have a, one class that's full of like five, six <laughs> – quarterbacks it's going to be tough because he's going to be going against a guy who doesn't have the same resume but Flacco was one of the best playoff uh, quarterbacks of all time he's going to be retiring around the time that like Big Ben is going to be waiting to get in there's going to be Eli Manning there's going to be Phillip Rivers there's going to be all these quarterbacks that are waiting in the wings to take these Hall of Fame spots it might be a bit for Matthew Stafford he better win a fucking playoff game or two well, if he does, the Detroit's going to collapse on itself. Mm-hmm. Unless he gets traded and wins it somewhere else. That's that more likely. That's that more would likely. be terrible, man. That is way more likely. Um, so, this is – so, you know, I want to ask, like, I really love the fact that you guys, that you and Kate, like, tweet about your animals. Like, you know, you mm-hmm. have your two dogs. You have Baby Dale, mm-hmm. Gus, and Sprinkle Dinkles, and then she has yeah. uh, Spork, which is, like, an incredible cat name and i'm glad she didn't change it when she adopted uh-huh. him um i gotta ask because it's been bugging me is sprinkle dinkles i'm guessing female right yep okay and okay that was my one question about sprinkles but <laughs> uh like the cutest fucking cat and is there gonna be a baby dale bed coming or is he just gonna hang out with gus in his bed because i love the videos where gus is just kind of like uh what are you doing here guy <laughs> They're like legit best buddies. And I don't know yeah. how much – well, really, I think that Baby Dale is kind of like one of those fish that hang out underneath a shark where they just like <laughs> kind of get all their nutrients and things from that. Like he does the same thing. Gus used to not like any, any other animals by him whenever he was eating on a bone or chewing on a bone. He doesn't care if Dale's there. Like, because Dale's so small, he's not like affected anything that Dale's doing. He's basically like one of those birds that hangs out on a rhino's ass in the middle of that, like the <laughs> Serengeti. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That was great. Um, and then now you've been doing, you know, I, I noticed since quarantine, you've been doing long time toolies a, mm-hmm. a lot more. Um, I've owned a home for about three years, you know, and I'm, someone who's not, I like to think that I'm good with tools and I'm good with measuring and cutting, but I'm not like, I don't think I have the confidence. Like what now I know you might, I know you have some sponsors, like what tool brand is your favorite that you've used along? It can be any kind or use for any use. Like what's one that you'd really recommend for someone like anyone. One thing that I learned is don't go super cheap. At first, like I went on eBay and just bought like, oh, like what's the difference? If you get a a drill, like how different can a expensive drill versus a cheap drill be? A lot. It's a big difference. Like if you get 
a quality set. And that's what I would recommend. Like don't go to Home Depot or Lowe's and just buy one. If you do like buy a DeWalt, uh, if you want to buy a DeWalt, for example, drill, get the whole like set of five or six. And it, it right. looks like it's going to be expensive. It is. It's going to be like 150, 200 bucks. But if you go by piece by piece, you're going to end up spending 500 bucks. And if it's going to be a real process for you and a real thing that you're interested in and building like how many tools you have and where you're able to do a lot of things, you're going to buy those anyways. So right. I would wait until like Memorial Day sale, President's Day sale, when all those things go on sale and then go get that. And whatever tool brand you get with the battery, like if you get a battery powered one, then that's essentially your tool brand that you're going to have forever right. because the batteries can be like $80 themselves. Oh, they're crazy. Like, cause I have Ryobi right now and I've, I've been tempted to switch to kind of upgrade like to DeWalt or like Milwaukee cause mm -hmm. the, they're fine, but I've noticed the quality in them isn't that great. Like I bought it, you know, on a, on a budget right. three years ago, like the starter set, like a pre-owned one. And they're fine, but it seems like now I'm kind of like, you know, I think I trust myself a little bit more. Maybe I should get something better. So I, if I was doing it again, I would get rigid because rigid is made by the same people who makes Milwaukee and that's oh. home Depot's brand and they yeah. have a lifetime warranty. So like that's if right. anything breaks, you get it, you get it for free. Yeah. Oh, okay. How about that? I still live with my parents. So you guys might as well have just been speaking Mandarin the entire time <laughs> I, <laughs> that went over my head. But, um, you know, you, you said, um, you know, you're, you're very big on your, on your military career and, you know, you run a military um, podcast, you know, what was the transition for you to back to civilian life? Like, like, was that, it was very rough because I never, I never wanted to leave the Marine Corps. Like when they told me that I was going to get medically retired, I was upset about it. I didn't want it. Um, I had a mint, my mentor was a first sergeant. His name is first Sergeant Lugo. I talk about him on the podcast a lot. And he called me up one day when I was going through the process and like thinking if I was going to fight the discharge or the medical discharge, medical retirement or not. And he was like, look, dude, you could stay in for 20 more years. You're going to retire. You're going to get the same exact pay. What are you doing? Go have another career, go do something great. Go be a mentor somewhere else. Cause that's the thing that I knew I was going to miss. I knew I was going to miss being around Marines. I knew I was going to miss making an impact on younger folks' life and like teaching them like how, like a little bit of wisdom that I had picked up along the way. The best thing I did was use my GI bill and go back to school. Um, I wasn't interested in school at all, but if they're going to give me 1500 bucks a month to go to school, I'm going to do it. So I went to UTSA and just tweeted essentially all day while I was there. I tweeted all day long about the Jags, about dumps, micro penises, whatever. I was tweeting about it all the time. And that's kind of where I found my writing voice is just by doing it. Uh, like I said, I would have never thought when I was in the Marine Corps, this would be the path that I would take but I am so fortunate and so glad. And now if I won the lottery or somehow came across like a, a shit ton of money, I would do this for free. Like I, I love doing what I do. I love talking to the people that I talk to. I love getting on and bullshit with Kate every day and writing and making people laugh. When people are sitting in their cubicles or they're working or they're on their way home and listening and they say that they, a coworker asked them why they're laughing so hard and they aren't sure if it's appropriate or not to show them one of my blogs, the reason why they're laughing, <laughs> that shit gasses me up. That's what gets me going. 
the joke's on me because I went into crushing debt to tweet all day. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh, that makes me that that's a bad feeling. But uh, okay, so um, you know, you're not a you're not a big college college football guy, but um, there's been a lot of talk about like the top heavy nature of college football. Like, what do you make of that? I just want to get your thoughts on that because you're, cause you're so plugged into the NFL and you know, mm-hmm. you must pay attention to some college football. What do you, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a Mississippi state guy. Uh, I watch less football now, like college football now probably than ever just cause my kids keep me so busy and just, I like to do the stuff in my workshop now. So I, I just didn't watch nearly as much this year. And honestly, I didn't even get into football except for the Jags this year. Cause I just thought it was going to get shut down. Like I was like, I'm not going to get be invested in this season. Cause nobody's going to play the pack 10 didn't play until like fucking the middle of October or pack 12. So like, what was the point really? But I, I do agree that there is something about, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, those teams being in the top four every year, it's just boring, man. Like, think about the NCAA tournaments, the year that uh, George Mason will make it or Creighton will make it far. You don't have that story, and you could. You could have a Cincinnati that plays. And people worrying about, like, if there's going to be a blowout, dude, they let Notre Dame in. You know as soon as Notre Dame gets in, they're getting blown out, like, right, right away. Yeah, I think that was kind of the point. I That was the point I was making. It was like, it doesn't matter who's going to be at four because they're just going to get steamrolled by Alabama. So yeah, you could it didn't literally matter. just put – you could have put anybody at four and the outcome would have been the same. It wouldn't have and toss one of those non-Power 5 schools a bone. You know, like, it means a lot if – even if you – that's a rival for you. I think you still want to cheer on a smaller school that's going up against the big boys. I think that's fun. I mean, one of the best college football games of all time was Oklahoma versus Boise state. So if you have that kind of vibe, those kids at Cincinnati, they would, could you imagine how hard they would be playing if they're in the college football playoff? Like they would be like, they would die on the field. Like they want everything to, they lay everything out there. And that Boise State-Oklahoma game could be what we had this year with Cincinnati, but we just didn't get it. Right. Um, I've got one last question for you. This is something like uh, – I don't know, just felt like, bring, uh, felt like talking about it. Um, you know, you seem like you're a pretty awesome dad, and I want to be a dad. Like, my wife and I are trying to have kids. Congratulations um, what, on that. Thanks, man. Like, what <laughs> – yeah, congrats on the sex. Um, yeah, the process is the best part. <laughs> this is the best part. But, like, you know, what would you give someone who's in the process of trying to start a family? Like, a, you know, a guy or, or, you know, doesn't have to be a guy, but, like, just someone randomly comes up to you on the street and says, hey, I'm trying to ha- trying to start a family. Like, what's one piece of advice you could give me? Uh, my biggest piece of advice for new parents is you're going to fuck up. Like, don't worry about it. Like, you're going to do it. There's been – I mean, look around at the people that you know are parents. How many incompetent people do you see 
<laughs> I mean, if they can keep their kids alive just with chicken nuggets and peanut butter roll-ups on tortillas, I think that you're going to be fine. Like people are so nervous about the small, like, how do I bathe them? Just stick their little asses in a sink. They don't care. Like they don't know. <laughs> like, they, they don't know <laughs> what's going on and you don't know. You just got to figure it out. If you're earnest and try, I think that's what it is. And one thing, like I, I do appreciate that people listen on Podfathers like when I was on that show and think that I'm a good dad. <laughs> you, it is so easy to look like a good dad on social media. And I can't tell you how many women it pisses off. Pisses off. If you put yourself and your kid on Instagram eating ice cream, people be like, what a fucking dad. Oh my God. Like, oh my God, do not take those compliments. If your significant other sees you taking those compliments, like, yeah, dude, when we got ice cream, I'm fucking great dad. They're going to hate you. Don't do that. That's the biggest lesson that I've learned uh, over the last couple of years is social media does not make you a good parent at all. Lucas just likes to brag that he has sex a lot. So I don't. I don't blame him. Me too. That's fine. <laughs> uh, Chaps, thank you so much for coming on. This was a pleasure. Um, thank you for taking the time and talking to us. This was yeah, awesome. Man. Glad and to do it. Thanks for your guys' uh, invite and for what you what did you guys do? What was the agreement? Like you guys, uh, oh, you purchased some stuff on uh, Black Friday, right? Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks so much, chaps. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, guys. You can cut that part if you want. <laughs> no, we're good. <laughs> we're we're going <laughs> to <Okay>. leave it in. <laughs> All right. See. Support for the Bacon Warrior Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. And big news, fellas, Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew smelling this good could feel this good too? Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Look, everyone knows Manscaped has the perfect package 3.0 for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs. But they didn't stop there. Complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. Think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for anything. Calming and inviting, this signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes of I don't know what that word means, and a woodsy, masculine finish. This 50 milliliter spray cologne is even hypoallergenic, cruelty-free, dye-free, paraben-free, and 100% vegan. This beautifully designed glass bottle makes a statement, and the manly scent is attractive to set the mood. Also, be sure to check out the Perfect Package 3.0. You know what comes in it. The best groomer in the game, ball toner, crop reviver, ball deodorant, all the great things. So it's time to feel sexy, fellas. Get 20% off and free shipping with code BACON at manscaped.com. Your balls and body will thank you. That's 20% off and free shipping with code BACON at manscaped.com. Look good, smell good, feel good with Manscaped. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. He is the Detroit Lions beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. It is Dave Burkett. Dave, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing fantastic. So 
Uh, we wanted to start off with this. Uh, obviously, the Lions are wrapping up interviews with GMs and coaching candidates right now. We have a pretty solid feel on who the next head coach is going to be. Um, it are is the ownership and uh, like the front office who's still there. Are they planning their GM hire around the coaching hire? Well, look, I, I wouldn't be so quick to assume that the Lions have a coach picked out. I mean, I, I know the the popular opinion is is that Robert Sala will be the next head coach. You know, he certainly seems to be the people's choice, and he would be an excellent choice. But um, I don't know that the Lions have I, I don't the Lions have not made that decision. I mean, I think they are going in this with with open eyes. Um, I know there's, uh, you know, look, people have discounted Daryl Bevel. I know Bevel had a good interview. You know, there's some guys next week at the very least one, Dan Campbell, who is going to interview very strongly and has some previous head coaching experience. So um, I think there's that that is still to be decided. But as for the GM search, I do think that one will play out first here, uh, probably in the coming days uh, once they, they've wrapped up their interviews. But maybe once this weekend's games are done, they can move forward with making a hire. And so are they, are they, um, when they, when they're interviewing GMs, you know, just because everything's still so up in the air, you know, in the midst of, in the midst of the NFL playoffs, when they're interviewing GMs, is their strategy to be like, here's who we're looking at for head coach? What do you think? Or are they, or are they yeah. like waiting for the GM to, to come in before they, before they finalize a coaching hire? No, that's absolutely part of the discussion. And, you know, where I think it goes both ways, too. When they talk to some of these GMs, it's, okay, what coaches do you want to bring in? You know, who do you have these relationships with? How do you plan to formulate your staff? And when it's with the coaches, it's, okay, would you feel comfortable working with this? Who are some of the guys that you would like to work with? But, you know, the Lions have, are far enough down the road with GMs right now that, um, you know, I think it's about – in all likelihood that that guy will have the the power within the organization still. And then that person will be able to, at least in theory, sit in on the top, you know, one or two coach candidates. I, I think ultimately that's what will happen. Rod Wood has said the Lions want to meet with whoever they hire in person first. So once that happens, they will bring that person or those maybe the top two candidates, let's say to town and the GM will take part in those interviews. Okay, so kind of with that uh, time frame there, does that kind of rule out kind of uh, the fans' dream of getting or luring a John Schneider or even a Kevin Colbert? I don't think that's uh, completely dead. That's why I said I would wait till the the games this weekend play out. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I mean, look, there's there's no doubt there was some interest from the Lions' part, and I believe there is there was interest from both sides. It was always going to be a tough tough task to lure one of those guys to town, right? I mean, it's going to take a lot of money, a lot of power. You know, those guys are with very good organizations. They've had a lot of success, so there's a lot to consider on their parts. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Maybe it's something where after the season, you know, their, their, their seasons are done. You can convince them to come. They could be hired right now, but there would be things that you have to work out from a league perspective. Um, so, uh, is it dead in the water? You know, no one has told me that. Uh, is it going to happen? I don't expect it, even though I, I do think it's, you know, it was a, it wasn't a complete pipe dream by the, uh, by the Lions. But ultimately, you know, if I was guessing right now, I guess I, w I would think they would go a different direction. You, you brought up power in the GM coaching search. And I want to, I want to ask you about, 
um, an article you wrote, you wrote kind of in the wake of Quinn and Patricia's firing about uh, Rod Wood and how he is uh, sitting in on personnel decisions. And since, since Quinn and Patricia have been fired, there have been a couple, at least from my perspective, questionable personnel moves that they have made. Uh, who, and, they've, and they've all come down to a culture fit. Who, who is the one making those decisions in the organization and what culture are they trying to fit in? No, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, because I, uh, Rod was involved in that, you know, he was sort of that six person group, I guess, that was, uh, you know, shepherding the Lions through the, the last five weeks of the season. I think ultimately the, the culture fit, and this is why I said I wouldn't rule out Daryl Bevel, you know, it's because he, he certainly fits with that, that culture. You know, it's, it's something that he believes in too. And, and what they want is they want, you know, as Rod sort of explained this week, um, you know, they want uh, people who are all in unison, working together, doing the best thing for the Lions. I think, you know, I think by and large, good people, people who, who, who value football, uh, you know, people who want to have some, some fun. Um, and ultimately when, when people weren't towing the line, for lack of a better expression, I guess, you know, when they were missing team meetings or, or late for team meetings or sneaking out of the hotel or, you know, calling rogue fake punts. Um, it really was an organizational decision. I think Daryl Bevel played a large role in that. Um, I think from a player perspective, the, the personnel side did too. And then certainly Rod had to sign off on that and, and probably Mike Disner as well. That's Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brett. Yeah, so kind of going off of uh, SD's question there, uh, one question I have is, does the Ford family, do they feel some of the anger the fans have had towards their ownership? Are, are they kind of tone deaf to it? I mean, that's, that's always been kind of interesting to me because obviously you, you've had fans who are upset with the ownership. Uh, do, do they get a sense of that's actually a real thing? Or is it just kind of they're in their – their own a bubble and they just kind of hear about it, but they don't really feel it. No, I'd, I'd like to think they, they really do. I mean, look, you know, the, the Fords, I know obviously the impression of, of the family here in Detroit is one thing, right? They've owned the team for 60 years and they, you know, the, the organization has never won and uh, you know, they're to blame. But I think a lot of what's gone wrong is that they've, it's really that they've entrusted the wrong people for too long. You know, it's, it's not that they haven't cared about winning it or, um, spent the money, you know, I think, you know, right now they, they spend money and they, you know, build, upgrade their facilities and they do some of those things. So I, I do think that, you know, um, not having had extensive dealings with Sheila Fordham, I don't want to pretend like I know exactly what she's thinking, but, um, you know, I do think that she's, you know, she's been around and involved in a part of this for long enough that they certainly feel the angst of the fans and deep down, I don't have any doubts that they want to win too. Doesn't mean they'll make the right decisions all the time, but, but I, I don't think it's for a lack of, of want or a lack of trying. Yeah, and so, I think that this recent search with both the GM coach kind of shows that just based off of how extensive they are. Because, I mean, us as Michigan State fans, we went through that coaching search last February. Um, so we, we kind of got a glimpse at that. And then, uh, obviously, we looked at the Matt Patricia thing where everybody kind of knew who was going right. to be the coach and the other uh, – interviews were kind of more so window dressing but this time like it, it's actually it, it's difficult to determine who they're going to hire because I mean they've interviewed 11 different GMs that we know of as well as multiple coaches so um, they it seems like they're actually taking this one a little bit more I don't want to say seriously 
but it seems like they're just they know how important this this current hire has to be. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think um, at least I'd like to think that they're they're doing this all for the right reasons. I mean, look, if uh, if Peyton is the hire um, and he's a very fine candidate on his own right, but I think it's fair to ask the question of. You know, he has these ties to Minnesota where Chris Spielman's brother is there. You know, was that sort of a, you know, a, a foregone conclusion that that was, that was going to be the, the hire? I mean, you know, that's that natural, that speculation will, will be there naturally just based on the, the previous relationships. But um, I think casting a wide net is a good thing. I think talking to all these people is a good thing. And again, it doesn't guarantee that they, you know, end up with the right person at the end of the day. Um, but at the very least, you, you know, you see your options and, and you know, a guy uh, like Brad Holmes from the Rams, I think that's somebody that, you know, he wouldn't have been a part of the search a few years ago. And, and uh, I feel pretty confident in saying that, you know, he hit, he had a home run of an interview. So um, I don't know that he's going to be hired, but I, I think the Lions at the very least like what they heard from him. And, uh, you know, that's a, a case where, you know, maybe all of a sudden, you know, he gets in the mix or, or maybe he, he's ready for the next job because he's in this cycle right now. Uh, Dave, I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, with, with this front office vacancy, there's a lot of balls up in the air right now. Um, what, you know, based on, based on your, based on your knowledge, like from the organization's perspective, where are they prioritizing things like the sixth pick, uh, Kenny Galladay's new contract, Matt Stafford's future in Detroit? Like, how are they going to, how are they triaging that right now? Well, it's all on hold until they get a GM in place and, and probably a coach. You know, those two will have the the biggest voice in all those decisions. And, you know, I mean, again, as you go through these interviews, I mean, they're doing, you know, four-hour interviews essentially right now, however long they may last, give or take. Um, you know, you're covering a lot of topics there. And, and I'm sure the, the coaches and the GM candidates have have questions for the organization too. So those topics are bound to be broached. And, um, you know, Ultimately, you know, when they sit down after they are hired, they will probably have a pretty good idea of what they want to do with Matthew Stafford, less so what they want to do with uh, the number seven pick in the draft. But those are decisions that um, will fall on the next general manager, next coach, uh, but probably in co consult a little bit with Chris Spielman, Rod Wood, you know, Sheila Fordhamp. Uh, I think uh, when you're when you're dealing with something as high level as a quarterback who's been here 12 years, uh, certainly you get, you know, the, uh, all the power brokers in the organization involved. Absolutely. And kind of going back to a few of your tweets earlier today, you referenced that uh, Lions and mic'd up video that was uh, yeah. out today by the team. And there were some interesting tidbits that you pointed out. It did feel like Marvin Jones and Stafford. It did feel like that was their last game together. Uh, just kind of basing off of Kelly Stafford's Instagram. It seems like those two families are very, very close. Yep. Um, so obviously those two players have a connection as well as Amendola hanging up his cleats over the, the field goal post. So, I mean, we can kind of read into that. Um, do you get a sense that I, I mean, I watched your video with, uh, Carlos the other day where you guys kind of go back and forth about whether it was Stafford's last game. If you yeah. were to put, uh, your money on it, which, which way do you lean? Or is it just, it, it's completely up in the air based on the GM. Well, it's certainly up in the air, but you know, if I if I was running the show, if I was a GM and trying to put myself in, you know, the GM shoes from talking to people around the league, um, I think the you know there's a, a very good chance that Stafford is back next year. That mm -hmm. seems to be what you know Rod 
maybe favors just based on his comments the other day. But beyond that, I think it's tough to move on from a quarterback, you know, pretty good quarterback without having the, you know, the, the replacement plan already in house and, and the Lions don't, I mean, it's not David Blau, it's not Chase Daniel. And it, with the number seven pick in the draft, there's, there's no guarantee you get the guy that you want, you know, especially if you make a move on Stafford early. So I think it's important to find the quarterback of the future and to do so sooner rather than later. But I also don't think that you want to get boxed into having to pick one at seven or, or trade up from there or risk, you know, the Carolina Panthers who are a pick behind you who maybe have more draft ammo, uh, you know, moving up themselves to get the guy that you want. So I think the best course of action is to keep Stafford for 2021. If the quarterback that you like is there at seven, you draft them and, and then you figure it out later when, uh, you know, either Stafford is, uh, you know, ready to move on or, uh, you know, your, your young guy is ready to play. The caveat to that, of course, is if Stafford wants to leave now, you know, it's going to be a tough thing to, to smooth, smooth over to keep him around for 2021. Yeah, and that's why it leads me to believe that Eric Bieniemy that he would be a really interesting and potentially he'd be the perfect hire for that situation, seeing how they dealt with having Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes and Mahomes kind of developing for a year and then kind of taking the reins from there. So, uh, I'm not comparing any of these draft prospects to Patrick Mahomes, but the situation could potentially be uh, pretty similar. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it in, in that regard. Um, you know, I uh, look, Bianami obviously interviewed and, and he'll be considered. And, you know, George Payton is a guy who's got some ties to him. So who knows how that shakes out. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a fair point because I, it, but more than the coach, you know, I, th- I think it, that'll be up to the GM. And the one thing I, I said to Carlos, and I've said this before too, is, is these guys are pretty conservative by nature. And so when you have a, a guy like Stafford that, you know, you can look five years down the road and still see him playing at a pretty high level. It is sometimes tough to get rid of that guy early. So as much as you and I or whoever, you know, out there in the public may think, yeah, it's the right time to move on from Stafford. You know, our jobs aren't on the line. And, and admittedly, it's a little bit of a different, um, you know, different decision when, when it comes down to, to big dollars and things like that. Yeah, it, it's a little bit more difficult uh, than us putting out a tweet saying what we do compared to putting it on our resume. Absolutely. No, it's 100% right. I mean, those are the decisions that, you know, forever that guy is going to be attached with the quarterback that he drafts and the decision that he makes with Stafford, uh, just as, you know, Martin Mayhew has been and, and, you know, Bob Quinn has been and their decision to, you know, ride with him to this point and I guess build the team around him to this point. Uh, Dave, I kind of wanted to, I kind of wanted to ask, uh, ask this question because, um, Obviously, uh, Quinn and Patricia kind of had a bit of a kind of bit more leeway, I think, in in free agency and like tenure than maybe they deserve to have. This new GM, this new regime that's going to come in, this new GM and coach, is there any indication that their leash is going to be shorter than Quinn's than Quinn and Patricia's were? Um, is are they is there are they going to face more scrutiny from Wood and from and from the and from the higher ups within the organization, or are they going to have kind of the same autonomy that it seemed like Quinn and Patricia had? I, I think they'll have the same sort of you know leeway to build the roster and make their own decisions. I mean, the one wild card here, the one thing we don't know is you know Chris Spielman's role because that's obviously new. So, uh, but that's something I I imagine every GM candidate and every coach candidate gets figured out in the interview process. You know exactly what Chris's role will be and. I've said this before too, you know, I don't, I don't think Chris 
will be or has intentions to be a general manager, but I also don't think he comes to the Lions and gives up that TV job just to be a, you know, a, a guy that helps with this one search and then, you know, spends the rest of his days here, you know, glad handing with sponsors and, and whatnot and sweet holders. And I, I think it's more a case of, you know, they are preparing him to, whether it's be president or some other, you know, hoity title, you know, he's going to take on a pretty prominent role in this organization before long. That's, yeah, that's interesting. That. Sorry, sorry, Brett. That's interesting no, to me ahead. because I always assume Spielman's position was a more temporary search committee basis. I had no, I had no feeling or reaching out that he was gonna that he was gonna permanently leave broadcasting and and pursue a career in the front in in a front office. Yeah, no, he's he's done with broadcasting. He's with the Lions right now, and you know, you guys know if you're a, if you're a Lions fan, you probably know, right? Like that's just not how Chris Spielman operates. He's not coming to do anything you know, half-ass, if I can say that. I guess I can on the podcast and say just did. But you know what I mean? Like, he, that, that's not who he is. So he's he's all in. And, and that's why I say he's not coming here just to, you know, shake the hands of some some corporate sponsors. Like, he's coming here to, to do the real thing. And, you know, whether that's a year from now or three years from now or five years from now, I, I don't know. But I do foresee him at some point having a bigger role in the organization. Yeah, and I think that's, that, that's actually really encouraging to hear. Um, I know we've talked about this pod on this podcast. I mean, Rod Woody's been a point of contention since he was hired as team president. And I think it's more so based off of his opening statements, how he even admitted he's not qualified to be a president for any other NFL team. Um, I mean, he has done some good things. He's been, it seems like he's been available to the media, but if Chris Spielman's able to move into that presidency role for the team, uh, I think that's definitely going to be something that the fans can put their trust in just based off of him being uh, arguably the greatest linebacker in Lions history and being a college football legend that he is. So um, that would definitely be a welcome move, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And again, I don't know that it will be president that title, but I just think it'll be some sort of role similar to that. So um, look in, and just because he has the experience that he has does not in any way mean that he's going to have success, but it's just a lot of people out there feel more comfortable with a football person involved you know, I'll say this though, you look around the league, you know, there's a, a most presidents have a more of a business sense about them than a football sense. And it's, you know, that's part of the job too. And, and as long as that person doesn't involve themselves in the football business and lets the football people do their thing, I don't, I don't think there's a problem with that. Okay. And then kind of based off of, because uh, this is a Michigan State podcast, we know you went there. Um, what, what kind of role is Mark Howell's played? Or is he going to have any role uh, post-search? Um, or is he just kind of uh, a guiding hand in all this? Yeah, just a consultant. Um, you know, frankly, I haven't heard a ton about exactly what he's he's done in, in terms of how he's helped the interview. I know Rod had said early on he was going to – you know, he'd been through enough of these searches himself that he could just sort of help navigate some of the, the questions, I guess, that come up, the approach that, that comes up to when you're – you're dealing with some of these, I mean, honestly, some of the, the backdoor talks that go on, right? But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like it, the people that are involved in making the hire are Rod Wood, Sheila Ford Pamp, uh, you know, Chris Spielman, and then Mike Disner to a lesser extent. You know, the, that is the group of really the, the three, three and a half decision makers, I guess, depending on exactly what, what Disner's role is that are making this call for the Lions. And the other guys – you know, Hollis, Barry Sanders, uh, you know, Barry, especially that's just more of a ceremonial perch. Um, Hollis has some real experience 
um, you know, running searches. So I imagine that, you know, him and Rod have, have talked plenty about it, but uh, I don't know exactly what he's doing in terms of picking the, making the hire. Okay. Uh, speaking of ceremonial, uh, ceremonial things, Dave, um, it was announced earlier this week that Calvin Johnson uh, was named a, was named a semifinalist or a finalist for the, for the pro football hall of fame. Um, obviously Calvin and the lions have a bit of, um, have a bit of a contentious relationship at the moment. Um, yeah. is there any, is there any, um, any intention on the organization of kind of writing, of kind of writing that wrong? <laughs> uh, you know, in Calvin's eyes, I don't Great think question. it'll be written yeah, until they pay him his money. I mean, that's just, that's what it comes down to for Calvin that, you know, when you, uh, especially for a star player like Calvin, who, you know, gave his all to the organization, retired for the right reasons. You know, it was, you know, he just, he couldn't do it anymore at the level that he wanted to, you know, that, um, you know, he didn't think it was right for the Lions to ask for a million and a half dollars back. And I don't either, frankly. And so I, I get exactly where he's coming from. Um, I just, like I said, I, I don't think, I don't think things will be smoothed over until or unless the Lions pay him. And from the Lions standpoint, I don't know that they just want to cut him a check. You know, they look, it happened with Barry Sanders, right? Barry was estranged from the organization for a long time. Eventually they brought him back and he wore a, I mean, you know, they, I don't know what they pay him now, but I'm sure it's a lot to be a, you know, a guy that, that comes and shakes hands and, and does autographs and, you know, Kelvin doesn't, doesn't want to do that. I mean, he wants to be, you know, he wants the money that's owed to him and doesn't want to be in debt to the organization to, to make that up. Yeah. And I mean, just kind of based off of Calvin's tenure, he's always just, I know I, I got to meet him a few times at different uh, radio functions and he was always just a super friendly guy. Like he always kept to his own. Like it just, it feels wrong that this organization just won't pay him his money. It just, it, it seems like the most petty bizarre <laughs> thing to kind of keep holding on to. It's just, uh, I don't know. It just rubs personally it rubs me the wrong way. Um, I, I think that if they were able to kind of uh, mend that relationship, it would do a lot for uh, just kind of the fans that have felt distance from this franchise, as well as uh, right. showing players both current and future that uh, this organization is going to treat you well and you'll be a, a member of the family for life. No, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, you know, look, I, I in fact, I, I agree hundred percent. I mean, I, I don't think the Lions should have asked them for the money back in the first place. That's just not how, you know, teams operate in the NFL for look it, a million and a half dollars is nothing to a billion dollar organization. Right. And uh, you know, especially for a guy who, you know, it's a sunk cost and what's the point of, you know, harming that relationship. And, but just to play devil's advocate, you know, maybe the team, it's a precedent that they had with Barry, you know, they, they didn't want to change it now. Uh, you know, maybe they, they, they would like to do it on the back door, make it good to him, but uh, still have that salary cap room or whatever the case was. It, it, none of it makes sense to me, but um, maybe that's just how the, the organization wanted to operate. Lucas, I know you had a couple of questions for Dave, so. Uh, well, uh, sorry if there's noise in the background. My wife's down here watching a naughty HBO mo show. Um, <laughs> Turn it up. <laughs> uh, no, um, you, you answered my question earlier. I think Brett asked it or, or Spartan Dog did about the roster being built. And I know that's kind of a question that you can't really answer right now as to who they, they'd want to keep because that was what my father-in-law gave me a question to ask. My father-in-law <laughs> is a diehard Lions fan. He – lives he bleeds lines he's always wearing a lion's hat always wears lion stuff 
I mean, he's I, – I, I love him to death, and I really am just sitting here, like, hoping they get they get good for him. Like, you know, maybe not a Super Bowl, but, of course, a Super Bowl would be great. But, like, just some consistent success, you know what I mean? And, like, what what do you think it would take to get to that point, like, to where you're something of, you know – maybe the Rams, like, you know, you're starting to kind of get that consistency where you make a big playoff run or you just are showing up to playoffs like the Seahawks, you know, they won a Super Bowl, but they they're in the playoffs all the time. Like what, like what, is there any hope for, for someone like my father-in-law to believe in this team? (laughs) I mean, not the way it's currently constructed, let's be honest, but um, you know, look, it's, it's all about the right people and both the right people in the front office and the coaching staff and the right people on the field. And, you know, as I said earlier, I just I think the Lions' biggest problem for the last five decades has been that they've they've trusted the wrong people for too long. You know, be it Matt, Matt Millen or Russ Thomas or, or you know various coaches. Um, you know, so when you when you realize something isn't working, you have to move and, and you make changes. And we'll see how this one works out. Um, you know, the other element of it, and you know, maybe maybe people don't you know give this enough credence around here, but just I was talking to somebody around the league the other day. And we were sort of talked about this dynamic, right? You think about the AFC East for the last 20 years uh, and not that Miami or Buffalo or the Jets were very good teams for most of that time, but you had Tom Brady and Bill Belichick that were just a dynasty for 20 years. And really in the NFC North, like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers are Hall of Fame quarterbacks and the Packers went from one to the other and just consistently playing at a Hall of Fame level for 30 years. So that's a tough nut to crack. And that's no excuse for the Lions not ever rising up and, and winning a division championship in that time, you know, uh, or at least in the last 25 years. But that's just – that's the, the lot that they've been dealt here in the division too, that they've – you know, they've had to compete against just two of the all-timers at the most important position on the field. So I thought, you know, Aaron Rodgers might be – falling off last year I was obviously wrong Aaron Rodgers looks as good as ever right now yeah and he's gonna win Um, the MVP yeah and he's probably got a couple couple more good years left so they just better hope that Jordan Love is not the next Brett Favre Aaron Rodgers otherwise it's gonna be another you know 15 years of scratching our our heads here in Detroit saying what's going on with the Lions yeah I I, in my uh, chat with one of my friends I famously used the the W word washed with in regards to Aaron Rodgers, um, that that aged like milk. But other than that, so uh, yeah, he's he's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I was I, I thought he was at at the end of it too. Obviously, the Packers did too, or they're not you know drafting Jordan Love, or they could at least see the end. And you know whatever the the reason is, whether that got him in the right mindset or what, you know he is he's been phenomenal this year. Right. Absolutely. Dave, you spent some time at MSU. This is an MSU podcast. Um, I don't know if you've had enough time this season to watch MSU football, but, uh, you know, what have you made of, of Mel Tucker in his first year at MSU? Yeah, you know what, guys, I got to be honest. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, went to Michigan State and loved my time there. But um, just being in the job, you know, I don't watch a lot of Michigan State. I don't. It's not like a Saturday appointment viewing thing for me. You know, a lot of my college football watching comes when I'm on the road just because my Saturdays are usually filled with, you know, whatever the kids are doing and traveling and, and all that. Um, so I didn't I didn't get a chance to watch them much. I, I think I flipped on what was the Rutgers game, maybe the first game of the season. They were getting their head smashed in, and so I just didn't even bother. Um, <laughs> so I don't have anything for you on, on what, what it looked like this year or, or Mel Tucker as a coach, but 
um, you know, I, I, maybe after COVID is all done, I'll, I'll start tuning back in and, and seeing exactly what, uh, what this program is going to be about going forward. For sure. And then did you have a favorite uh, watering hole or place that you <laughs> frequented when you were at Michigan State? You know, uh, well, I mean, look, you know, we, we bounced around quite a bit. You know, I mean, I think everybody went to, you know, all the old stops. I don't even know what's up there right now. Rick's and Crunchy's yeah. and, and all the places, right? Um, yeah. I'll tell you guys this story, right? I mean, we, you know, occasionally, uh, maybe it wasn't me, maybe it was my roommates. I'm going to put the blame on them, right? Throw a little parties at our, at our house, uh, 515 Sunrise Court, if anyone wants to check it out. No idea what it looks like now. But, um, you know, there was one time we had a nice little party and uh, – probably got a little out of hand for a lot of people and the police came back the next morning and gave us a ticket and i didn't think you could do something like that <laughs> but it was legitimately it was a friday night before a, a home michigan state game and so me i'm i'm going out the door on saturday morning to get to the, the stadium early and the police roll back up and give us a noise violation on like a saturday morning for a party that was the night before yeah and it just, i couldn't i don't know i i don't I, I think we just paid it and we didn't fight it or something but it, it was one of those things like come on you, you can really do this to us so uh anyways you know uh didn't have one specific place that we would uh you know i'm not i'm not much of a, a drinker but uh uh, partier, but uh, you know, I, uh, I certainly went out and uh, you know kicked it all around town every once in a while. <laughs> I, I was I, I was a PT guy, my a PT O'Malley PT? guy okay. myself. Yeah. So, uh, Dave, uh, we want to thank you for coming on, spending the time, answering our questions. Uh, you know, uh, keep doing your job. You do great, and uh, we look forward to to hearing who the who the guy is going to be soon. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Soon enough, guys. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll do it again at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right, guys. All right. All right, thank you to Uncle Chaps. Thank you to Dave Burkett. Thank you to Manscaped. Uh, Let's let's talk a little NFL, shall we, fellas? Uh, Lucas, like we said off the top, congratulations. Uh, you now, your Los Angeles Rams have earned the privilege of playing in Green Bay in December. Hey, hey, we play Green Bay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just wanted to get your guys' uh, thoughts on the weekend as a whole. And, uh, Brett, we'll start with you. Yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, first off, I think that the NFL kind of doing this three games each day was – it was amazing. It just – you had two days back-to-back just full of football. Um, every game was interesting in its own respect. Uh, I do want to talk about how the Saints and Bears, they played on Nickelodeon. I loved it. I loved the slime zone. I absolutely loved it all. Nate Burleson, former Lion, he is he's a star. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that the NFL does more of the Nickelodeon stuff. It was just – it was fun to watch, I got to admit. I mean, it was uh, – it was probably the least appealing of all the matchups, but it was the most entertaining broadcast. Um, I think what the Browns did last night was absolutely incredible. Uh, that them beating the Steelers and the TikTok dancers that they have at wide receiver that was that was really cool. But the most impressive win of the week, I'm not even not even being a Brown noser, but what the LA Rams were able to do against Seattle was it was incredible. Uh, that def- the defensive performances one of the best I can remember in recent memory. Uh, I, it's tough to look back at a playoff game and see a dominant effort like that. And I'm, I really like their chances against Green Bay. Uh, I think 
Devonta Adams, he's going to be in the torture rack against Jalen Ramsey. And then Aaron Donald, uh, I, I know he's a little dinged up, but if he's even 10% healthy, he's the best player in the game. He'll so, be all right. They said he's going to be all right for Saturday. Yeah, then, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he's going to have nightmares. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I really like that. And then, I mean, kind of previewing the upcoming weekend, I think Cleveland, they're going to have some – I think they're going to – reality is going to set in for them against uh, Kansas City. Uh, I mean, Big Ben just threw for 500 yards. I knew he threw 68 times, but Pat Mahomes is a little bit just – a, just a little bit better than Big Ben. Um, so, I really like that. And then Baltimore, I, ever since that game against – Cleveland, where Lamar Jackson, he was sharding. Uh, that team has been on a mission. So I really look at them to kind of uh, make a statement and to potentially advance to the AFC Championship. So I'm, I, I just, I thought it was a really good product this weekend. Yeah, and you know, continuing with the Rams, um, I think, I think that was that was probably as good as a coaching performance you're going to see what Sean McVay did. He obviously had an entire game's worth of scripted plays drawn up for um, the backup QB. What's his name? His name escapes me right Walford. now. Walford. Yes, Wheels Walford. Walford. Um, they, and, you know, they lost him in the first quarter. And, you know, the guy who they've, the guy who they've had, the, you know, his entire career, Jared Goff, comes in, and they have to completely throw out – literally throw out the playbook and start from scratch. And I think – I think what McVay and um, the offensive coordinator for LA were able to do against against Seattle was was incredible. I mean, it was it was breathtaking. And I and I think you're right, Brett. You know, uh, one of my good friends is a is a Packers fan, so he might object. But you know, I think Green Bay might be in a little might be in a little danger here uh, this weekend against against the Rams. Yeah, and I I, I do want to chime in right before Lucas. Um, it, it, I've always kind of noticed this, especially with the NHL, is when you have a team that's fighting for their playoff lives for weeks leading into the playoffs like the Rams were, I mean, Seattle had that – I know they locked the division late, but the Rams still had to win a couple games late in the season to get in. Uh, when you have a team fighting like that compared to where the Packers were, where they've had the division locked up for a few weeks, obviously the bye, um, it, it, the Rams are going to come out hot. So it, it's really going to depend on how Green Bay can react to that. Are they going to be ready to play? Um, we'll see. I, I know they've had some kind of playoff disappointments recently, but I, I really think the Rams are going to come out and just kind of pound the rock, uh, play some old-school football. And then Sean McVay, I mean, people are doubting this man. So I'm excited to see that. That's, that's my top game this weekend. Yeah, I really – I thought I was kind of dead wrong on all my predictions on the website for my – column but uh except for the saints one um yeah the rams brandon staley took over for wade phillips after this past year and he's turned them into like the number one overall defense they don't lead in some categories but they're basically like the best overall defense and you know i don't get to watch a lot of their games and like i finally got to watch jalen ramsey against dk metcalf and he had that one bad um goof up on the bomb touchdown pass but besides that he was frustrating the shit out of DK Metcalf. And, you know, that's such a great trade. And I know it, it's going to hurt them later on, you know, when the cap balloons or when their money balloons. But, like, I really love this team, and I love Aaron Donald. He's the best defensive player I've ever seen in my life. There's really no question about it. Um, but, 
you know, him going against Aaron Rodgers, that's going to be interesting. And I don't know if Bakhtiari is going to play. I, I got to look at that a little bit more because I know he was banged up and that can really hurt him. Um, that can really hurt this team. I still think the Packers are going to win. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to, to be pessimistic. I'm just trying to say, you know, this team's used to LA, you know, used to hot weather, used to mostly hot weather, you know, but you know, then again, teams have come in there and upset them multiple times. You know, you think of like when they were the one seed in 2011, 15 and one, Aaron Rodgers wins the MVP. They get, they get beat by the giants, like out of the blue. So I could see the Rams winning this game. I'm still picking the Packers, but um, I'm really interested in Cleveland and Kansas city. The Browns are either Cause you know, I think I did the math. The chiefs have won their last six games, but they, their last six wins by were, were like by less than six points or six on the dot. Um, you know, that's, shows they can win those close games, but they're also just keeping teams in it. And, um, you know, either they're going to come out just red hot having two weeks off, you know, because Mahomes and none of the starters played that game last weekend um, against, I think, Denver, whoever the fuck, San Diego, uh, excuse me, L.A. Chargers. But um, I think they're going to come out red hot, like you guys said. Um, Cleveland is good, but their defense is not great. And even with that 20-0 lead, they still were trying to put that game away late. Um, I think the Chiefs are going to blow them out, and I'm sure I'm going to be wrong, but I, I'm i a big Mahomes stan, and uh, I just need to keep that momentum going. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, talking about, you know, what the Browns did is awesome. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's so cool when, when a team like that uh, – who's kind of been a perennial bottom feeder uh, not only makes the playoffs, but wins a game. And I think, I think that, I think it being against a, a division opponent kind of helped them a little bit. Uh, Cause you know, it's hard to beat a team three times, like the old, like the old adage says. So um, that was really cool to see, you know, um, our, my internet dad, Jeff D low lights camera barstool is a huge Browns fan. So yep. super happy for him. Your team won a playoff game. Can't relate. Um, you know. Someone had a really interesting tweet, and I don't know if it was shared in our um, uh, coordinate, um, our correspondence, but um, like Baker Mayfield's essentially gone through three coaches in three years. You know, Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchens, and Kevin Stefanski. You know, all that different transition and offensive changes, and he's won a playoff game already. And people were trying to bash Matt Stafford for it. I thought it was an interesting indictment more so on the Lions than Stafford. I don't get that type of Stafford hate, but I can get it towards, like, the organization of the Lions. But I thought that was an interesting point that someone made is that they still found a way to, like, find the right guy, keep faith in Baker, and they don't have OBJ. You know, they lost a couple guys, and they still did it. Like, that's that's just – it's kind of an indictment on, on um, other other teams that we may root for. Yeah, um, I, I saw something today. Uh, the Browns hadn't won in Pittsburgh in 17 years. Um, they had 17 full years. Yeah. And they were able to not only get that monkey off their back, but get like the biggest monkey of their – get the biggest monkey off their back is, is a playoff game. 
Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I think Kansas City is just gonna is gonna show them the fifty states this week. But um I I I think Pittsburgh is gonna have like we're we're seeing reality setting in. And I'm not I'm sorry, Sean, if you listen. I think they're in a very tough spot. Um you have Lamar who you know, I I like him. I think he's a good player. I just give Dylan a hard time about the Ravens. I think he's great. But, um, you know, you have Lamar. He's coming into form. He's already won MVP. He's going to win multiple. You have Baker. He's coming into form. And if Joe Burrow's knee rehabs as well as it's going so far, um, the Steelers could end up being the last place team for a couple years. I think they're going to go through a massive rebuild soon because I wouldn't be surprised if Big Ben retired. That's just my one hot take is that he's going to hang him up. This He's going to hang up the walking boot this year. Yeah, yeah they're in a tough spot. Yeah. So are the Saints. Saints are in a similar spot, but with yeah. more talent. Do, do, you, do you really want to hand the keys to a Lamborghini to Taysom Hill? I, I mean, he would drive it. He would drive it under the speed limit, so you would be cautious with it. <laughs> like you on know, Wolf of he, Wall Street, where he had the val- wasn't it where he had the valet <laughs> or something. It, it was like uh, it. It's like what he like what he thought he drove it home perfectly when he was fucked up, and then it <laughs> yeah. show the next morning it yeah, shows him like, like swerving all over the. Place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, well, that'd be if Jameis took over. Uh, I think. I mean, I don't know if he could win you. Hey, man, Jameis got Jameis got LASIK, so he's you know he's good. I now. would. He'll be fine. I'd give him a shot. Like if Sean Payton sees the, who who's out there, I'd be like, fuck it, sign another backup and let Jameis and Taysom Hill battle it out for a year. See see what okay. you got. I think the most fun game of the weekend, honestly, was the Washington Football Team Tampa game. Oh. Um, I, and I wanted Taylor Heineke to beat Tom Brady so bad. <laughs> the, oh, that uh, would have pushed the agenda further. Yeah, I, I, I would have could the white supremacist bowl, um, I'll call it, <laughs> because Brady and Heineke were, were in it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just – it's always cool when, like, uh, when like a quarterback comes out of nowhere and just kind of just kind of shows out uh, for – you know, for a game, um, it's, it's obviously not, obviously Heineke's not the long-term answer in Washington. Um, the staff doesn't think so, but it was just cool to, it was cool to see. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, New England, uh, you know, like I, you know, Tampa's, Tampa's kind of in trouble cause they, you know, they're, they host New Orleans again. And, you know, like, uh, like I said before, in regards to the Steelers and the Browns, it's hard to beat a team three weeks, three times in a row, uh, no matter how noodly a quarterback's arm is. So, and the and the and the last time they played, uh, New Orleans clapped them like that. That game wasn't even fucking close. Yeah. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see. Go um, box. Yeah, we're uh, couch burner. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, couch burner. Go Bucks, bitch. I want Rams Saints. I want I want a re I want a rematch. I I want Rams Saints. I want Drew Brees again. I want Aaron Donald to break his ribs. Oh, can you edit that out? Sorry. I want Aaron nope. Donald. I want Aaron Donald to lightly set him on the ground multiple times and make Drew Brees retire. And now as long as he has fun. Rams. 
Yeah, as long as everybody has fun and there's no questionable calls that <laughs> Saints fans bitch about for 18 months after. Or yeah, they're, they're worse than Lions fans. Uh, so the the matchup I think I'm least I'm least interested in for whatever reason is um is Green Bay LA just because I don't you know it's just it is what it it's it it's gonna be I think you're gonna find out what kind of game it's gonna be really early yeah. Uh, I'll tell the matchup I'm most hyped for is Buffalo is Buffalo Baltimore. I'm I'm so I'm so beyond excited for that game. And Bill's uh, Mafia's in the in the house too. Yeah, I mean I mean it's kind of crazy how loud that stadium was for having it being so sparsely uh so sparsely uh so sparsely like uh filled. Yeah. It's like Did you 60, guys I think they like got sixty seven hundred people in there. Yeah. Speaking of which, did you hear what Sean Payton proposed? No. Oh yeah, I did see that with the bubble. Yeah, he basically wanted to put a shanty town in the Superdome parking lot, and have, and have like a full stadium's worth of people quarantine for two weeks, <laughs> so that they would create like their own bubble in the Superdome. I mean, you probably have a lot of. <laughs> Oh my god! You probably have a lot of. I can't say it on the pod, Brett. Am I allowed to say that? Sure. Sean Payton sounds like he's trying to recreate the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> Let's just hope the ghost of Chris Kyle isn't up there. Oh, oh. George Bush doesn't care about black people, so <laughs> while well, we're just while well, we're laid it all out there. I mean, that's a really that's like a Nathan for you type of idea. If <laughs> if I had ever heard of one. Okay, no one's listening, so I want to bring this up, Brett. You're a big Kanye fan. I'm a big Kanye fan. What the fuck? It's not real. It, I I don't know, man. Oh, it's not real. <laughs> I and everybody's. It's already come out, and like the person who created the rumor, they were. They became famous by they when Corona first started. They were licking toilet seats on airplanes, calling it the Corona Challenge. So that's that's who started the rumor. I don't know, bro. Those tweets from 2010 were a little sus. Kanye's not no, not Jeffrey I, Star. I do I did Google Jeffrey Star. I um, listen, man. There's no he's, way he's got a lot of Jeffrey Star has a lot of style, and that's what Kanye is attracted to more than most. And people oh, who are super. Style. I have a, I have just like, it's like a personal philosophy that anyone who is overly, overly, overly religious is like, is gay. Like they're hiding, they have like some kind of big secret they're hiding. And like, there's nothing wrong with being gay. Let me say that. Absolutely nothing wrong with being gay. Uh, the human, human beings weren't meant to be, you know, monogamous, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but it's just, it. It's one of those things that's like so crazy that like it almost has to be true, right? Like if the rumor was that Kanye was fucking some like Instagram model, you'd be like, all right, like fuck off. That's not real. But the fact that it's so specific and there's like, there's like a little bit of evidence to back it up is, is enough to, it's enough to make you go, hmm, you know, that's all I'm going to say. Enough to make you go, hmm. This is how the QAnon people got started. All right, enough. This isn't this isn't Nancy Pelosi drinking blood. This is this is Close. Kanye. This is this is Kanye butt fucking a makeup guy. Like, this <laughs> it's, is- funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny because my family they obviously like I big Kanye West guy. Um, 
the amount of texts I've gotten from family members over the past weekend is just, uh, it's, it's alarming. Everybody, hello, well, and they're sending me pictures of Jeffree Star. I'm like, all right, we got it. Like, and I'm like, fake news. Like, it was, I sounded like Donald Trump. Like, I'm just <laughs> denying everything. And so. Do you think, do you think the divorce is real? Do you think they're actually getting divorced? Let me ask you that. Uh, I, I would lean towards yes, just based off of, I just, I don't think, Connie's got to get away from that family. So I'm just, I'm hopeful that the answer is yes. And as us three are all music lovers know, the best music is when something really bad happens to somebody. So this is going to be a fire album. Kanye dropped a classic while his jaw was wired shut. So uh, his mom died. We got 808s. Amber Rose broke up with him. We got My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. There's a trend. We could get one on that level again. Nike, right. Nike wouldn't sign him. We got The Life of Pablo. I'm, I'm, as the infamous O.J. Simpson would say, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying. Hey, you know, yeah. If I did it. Brett sees that uh, Kanye and Kim are splitting up, and he goes, let's fucking go. <laughs> Well, I think I think the I think the divorce thing has a little more substance than the others because anytime there's been uh, in the past there's been rumors about their about like the really about them going through some turbulence or them you know being separated or anything like Kim's always quick to swat it down mm-hmm. whether it's you know a tweet uh, she put you know something on Instagram posts on her story. And that hasn't really happened. She's been kind of weirdly radio silent about all this. So that's kind of, you know, uh, what's the silence? Uh, silence speaks. Uh, silence is silence speaks, you know? Yeah. Well, and they got that last season of their show to promote. So what better storyline than Kanye wedding? Kanye banging, uh, Kanye Star. banging Jeffree Star. Please. Lucas, do you know who Jeffree Star is? Yeah. Yeah, I had to get educated on him by, uh, by uh, Cassie. But I, I've heard of him before, but I needed, like, a little more in-depth because, uh, yeah, I was like, who the fuck is this? And then she basically okay-boomered me. Is this the – is he the one that does the, the sister thing? Hey, sisters. No, that's that's James Charles. Oh, Jeffree Star. One? Yeah, they're – there's a lot of them. Seems like in a like a. I mean, these people seem pretty well off. I mean, after googling, this guy's worth like three hundred million dollars or something. He's from Michigan too. He's from the West Side. What? He's from Lucas's neck of the woods. Yeah, Lucas. I actually think he's from Portage. Lucas. What? Lucas Star. Jeffrey Star. God. <laughs> Jeffrey Star. I'm gonna see where he's from. I legitimately think he's from Michigan. Uh, oh no, he was born in L.A. Maybe he has a place in Michigan. Close. The, Personal life. The top, the top uh, Google, res- the top Google result uh, for Jeffrey Star is how is Jeffrey Star so rich? Yeah, they they have a house in Michigan. It said I go- they said, I don't know. I didn't say it. I meant Google. I googled it. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, quite he's wealthy. Don- quite. He's to to some uh, charities in Michigan and everything too. Jeffrey, come on the pod. Yeah. We know you're a big-time Bacon Wire listener. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah. That's all I got for this week. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Uncle Chaps. Thank you to thank you to Dave again for coming yeah. on talking to us. Thank uh, you to Lucy for coming on the pod. Yeah, thank you to Lucy Thanks, for coming Lucy. onto the pod. Um, you know, our blood feud begins Wednesday evening at eleven fifty nine p.m. and we'll continue until Thursday at at eleven. Fuck, that's so late. One last thing before we go. Like, I never got the contempt when I was in school for noon kickoffs. Maybe that's just because I've always been an early riser. And, like, there's something about a 7 a.m. beer that just, like, hits different. And it's <laughs> like if you did it under any other circumstances, like your like your loved ones would try to have an intervention. But because it's a college football Saturday, it's acceptable. So, like, I've always enjoyed – I've always – like really enjoyed new kickoffs and never got the, never understood the hate, but yeah, 9, I, p- I love it. 9 PM tip offs are an abomination, uh, an abomination. I get it. If you're on the West coast or maybe mountain time, but like central and Eastern time, it should be eight o'clock latest. Like yeah. the fucking Duke game was a 9 PM tip off. I get it because there were shitload of games going, but like, can't you shuffle another game that might be playing, you know, out west a little bit more? That's just stupid. And plus, I'm 33 years old, so I'm in bed by like 9:15. So that's part of why I'm bitching. I'm only 23, and I had to make coffee to stay up on uh, on Tuesday against against Rutgers. It's ridiculous. No, because I mean, no, it throws you off. Because then, like the Rutgers game, we we have that huge win, and you're just so amped after you can't get to sleep. You've, exactly. You've, you've, you've drinking your coffee. You've just had that emotional roller coaster coming off that high, and then you, then you have the the Purdue game where you're coming off that that low of lows, and you just can't sleep because you're angry. Please just normalize like six p.m. starts. Eight eight fifteen. Lucas is right. Eight fifteen at the latest. Eight fifteen no. at the absolute latest. Let's yeah, whatever the latest time a class starts. Yeah. Straight <laughs> if they're student athletes, like that makes sense. All right. So thanks to right. Dave. Thanks to Uncle Chaps. Fellas, I'll talk to you next week. Go green. Go white. Go white. Go sponge. Go, go Lewis. Go Chad. Go go, go Shauna. Go Braden. No. Go Rams. Go Shauna. Go Rams. Go Rams. Uh, do they have like a do they have like a thing like forward down the field? Or uh, just I, ca- I just call Sean McVay Sean McBay. All right, Sean McBay. Um, yeah, come on the pod. Please yeah, come on the pod. Come on the pod, Coach McVay. Why not? All right. <laughs> oh, I bet you-